to Hope City Church, Melbourne, Australia. Stay tuned for another inspiring message by Pastor Andrew McGrath. So turn with me to Acts 2.17. It says, In the last days it will come to pass that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. On all flesh. All of us. So this is something for all of you today. God says, in the last days, when in the last days, we're in the last days. The last days began when Jesus ascended and the spirit was poured out. We came into this realm of the spirit and it's accelerating now because it's coming towards the end, I believe. And he says, and your sons and your daughters, listen to this, they are going to prophesy. Say with me, I am incredibly, incredibly prophetic. prophetic. I told myself for years that I wasn't prophetic. Other people told me that as well. We agreed together and thus I was not prophetic. But then I began to hang around people that were prophetic and actually saw some prophetic gift in me and I became prophetic. Your sons and daughters will prophesy and your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. This is the, the, the reality. Right now, right across this congregation, there has been a marked increase of the prophetic amongst the young and the old. There's been an increase of dreams and visions. And this is for all of us. All of us. God is so ready and ripe to engage you in this realm. He wants you to have dreams and visions. God wants to talk to you. He wants to communicate. Some of you have told yourself that I'm not prophetic, that I can't hear God's voice. That's a lie from the pit of hell. The Bible says my sheep, they hear my voice. They won't follow the voice of a stranger. Some of you have been second-guessing the voice of God. Is that me? Is that God? It's harder to miss the voice of God than it is. And he says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. I love this because so many of us think that we don't have this prophetic gift. But I want to encourage you today that when the Holy Spirit comes inside you at new birth, you become a candidate for a prophetic gift, to hear the voice of God, to minister in the things of the Spirit. King Saul was, an, by and large, an ungodly man. But the Bible says in 1 Samuel 19 that when he came into the presence of Samuel and the company of the prophets, that he prophesied all day and all night. And here's the thing. It is a picture for us that when you come into contact with Holy Spirit, you too are a candidate to prophesy all day and all night, but with your clothes on. So I want to encourage you today that this is the, the season that we're in. And my passion, and we've done this uh, for a number of years, uh, probably starting three or four years ago, we started an encounter night where we train people how to hear the voice of God, <clears throat> how to see in the Spirit. Uh, we would pray for the young kids and gold dust would appear and people would have encounters and we'd have to carry out some of the children because they would be drunk in the Spirit. We would wheel them out on trolleys and packed them in the cars. And that wasn't an uncommon experience for those that were a part of that. Because God wants to speak to his people. And uh, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, that when you assemble, when you come to church, listen to this, each one, not some, but each one will have a psalm, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue. That doesn't mean that, but it means a tongue and interpretation. And an interpretation and all things will be done for edification. Paul's saying that when the church assembles, number one, the devil will tremble. But the second thing that will happen is 
that when the church assembles, there will be a release of godly communication. We will come with the word of the Lord. God will give us revelation, psalms, encouragement. Every time we meet, God's got something to say through you. This is the season that we're in where God is speaking. The church is beginning to awaken that it's not just one, one person up the front with the gifts and the anointings that we're all chasing after. That sets that one person up. And I know some of these people that travel from church to church and they feel the, 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 the weariness and the, and the tiredness of being everybody's voice and everyone's answer. Pastor, if you've got a word for me, and there's a place for that. But God wants to empower the church that we would hear his voice and minister one to another. Very powerful. Now, we, for that to happen, we have to set the right culture in the church because the wrong culture destroys the prophetic gift. That's why Paul says, don't despise prophecy. Why? Because there are many loony places on the planet where there are no boundaries, no culture. The church has no idea how to administer the things of the Spirit. And that's why churches shut it down because it's too painful, too hard. And my passion is that we would be the church, not the only church, but we would be a church that knows how to administer the spiritual gifts that God has given with wisdom and power and accuracy. And that people's lives are transformed because of it, not confused and misguided. So I'm going to give you some protocols today that I'm going to ask you to run with. Okay? These are good protocols. These are powerful protocols. And I'm doing this because, again, I want to establish or reaffirm the culture of this church. And you are the ones that enforce it. It's not for me. This is for us to agree to. Okay? Prophetic culture. There is a deep need for spiritual fathering in this nation, for covering, because many are choosing to be fatherless to avoid accountability. And you've seen it. You've seen it in this church, other churches, where as soon as there's any boundaries or accountability, people run away because they've grown up as orphans. I write about this in my book, uh, The Gospel According to Noah. There's a chapter on spiritual covering. It's worth a price just for that alone. Spiritual covering is one of the most misunderstood things in the, in the kingdom of God. Spiritual covering is talked about, Paul talks about the covering that women wear over their heads. And he wasn't just talking about a physical thing. He says, I want women to wear that covering for the sake of the angels. And he wasn't talking about good angels, he's talking about fallen angels. And he's saying that when you operate out of covering, you open yourself up for the enemy to run riot. Spiritual covering, but not just for the women, because he says that, that, uh, that man is the head of the woman, Christ is the head of man, and God is the head of Christ. He's, he's saying this is not about domination, this is about covering and empowering one another. And so we've misunderstood that. Men wore a head covering is it the kippur that they would wear over the head to say that they're under the covering of God? And whenever you read the scripture, you see that when there's right relationships, Barnabas uh, and his father was a prophet and Barnabas became a prophet. But then you read of Bartimaeus that his father was, was, he was son of the unclean one. So his father wasn't one that covered Bartimaeus. And so his life is one of, of brokenness and pain. So you see right through scripture, bad fathers, 
bad sons. Fathers with holes in their covering, it rains down on their children. And so that sort of model comes into the church. Fatherlessness. Uh, not understanding correction out of love. They see there's rejection. And the moment any boundaries are put around them, they run away. They say it's controlling. I don't want to have a bar of it. It's supposed to be empowering. It's like marriage. And this is just coming off to the edge. But the whole reason that a man asks for his fiancé's handy marriage to the father is he's asking the father, can this woman that I want to marry, will you release her out of your covering so she can step under my covering. See, only a father can release his daughter. has to come out of his covering. And so the father looks at that man and says, can he provide the covering to my daughter so she won't get rained on? If you don't ask for that release, then that's where there's confusion in the realm of the spirit because that woman hasn't been released from her father to her new husband. So covering's a big deal to God. And so when there's protocol for prayer and the prophetic, it's because God's really big into relationships and covering. Now, this is the thing. God gives spiritual gifts to people who are dysfunctional. In fact, that's the only sort of person he gives them to. God gives spiritual gifts to dysfunctional people. We're all a work in progress. He's going to use dysfunctional people for the rest of eternity while, while we're on earth. And the, the thing with that is, once he gives gifts to dysfunctional people, he expects the leadership of the local church to help those dysfunctional people become functional. So that's why we create a culture. It's not a free-for-all. I don't like that's controlling. Well, no, no. You've got dysfunction in your life, and we see... See, someone had to speak into my life and say, you know, when you did that, it, it was right what you said, but the motivation was out of you wanting to be noticed, you wanting a platform, and you need to adjust that because it's, it's, this gift becomes a weapon of unrighteousness in your hand. See, and that's what the church doesn't get. You can have the right gift, the right message, but with the wrong motivation, it bears bad fruit. So we just look at the, at the outcome of the, of the word. But it was right. It was so clear. Yeah, but you're perpetuating bad behavior. See, the motivation is just as important as the accuracy in, in the eyes of God. Because you know that as a, as a parent. Your child can perform a task. Well, I want you to set the table. And so they go into the, the drawer, pull the drawer out, get out the knives and forks, crunk, crunk, pull, pull. And you hear this thump, thump, thump. And you say, well, that's not what I meant. Well, I, I did what you asked me to do. I set the table, yeah, but the attitude was all wrong. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I say about my wife, the reason I love her cooking because there's a lot of love in it. Yeah. But some people that cook for you, it's like you can feel the anger in the cooking. <laughs> so prayer ministry. Laying on of hands is a foundational teaching in Scripture. You may have read the passage, if you're taking notes, Hebrews 6. Paul talks about, or the writer of Hebrews says, Let us pray, press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from good, uh, dead works and of faith towards God and of instruction about washing and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. So he, he, this, the writer uh, lists a number of foundational teachings in, in Scripture and one of them is the laying on of hands. 
I want you to know that if we value these things, there's great power. If you allow anyone to slap their hands on you, there's no great power. But if you have an understanding of the spiritual significance of these things, great reward comes. So first thing I want to say about laying on of hands is when you lay hands on someone, something spiritual is transmitted to that person. Leviticus 16 tells us that Aaron, when he brought the live goat before the the, uh, Holy of Holies, he would lay his hands on the head of the live goat and all the sins of the nation, think about that, were accumulated and passed through Aaron into that goat. The poor goat was taken out into the wilderness. Think about that, having the whole nation sin for a whole year placed on the head of a goat. Or go out into the wilderness and jump off a cliff. So something's transmitted spiritually when we lay hands on people. So when I pray for people, I'm aware of what's in me is flowing through me to that person. I was at a, um, a concert that had an older call at the end. I was a young, must have been in my late teens. And my dear friend, who we're still friends with, he went out the front for prayer for something. And some... Some person just rocked up, so there was a designated prayer team and someone from the congregation of the crowd decided they would join in and uh, went up to my friend who was not backwards and coming forwards. Uh, he picked the wrong person and this young man decided that he would pray for my friend and he went to lay hands on him and my friend said this great line, he said, don't touch me, I don't want what you have. Now you may not say it so... <laughs> so bluntly, but the reality is that when people pray for you, you get what they have. Silver and gold I don't have, but such as I have, I give to you. It's a spiritual transaction. So when you realize that, it's not open slather for anyone in the world to come and pray for you. In fact, you have the right to say, no. Can I pray for you? No, I don't know you. I don't know anything about you. And I don't have a witness about that. I don't know where you're from. Are you under any covering? I ask those questions. Where do you go to church? Who's your covering? Tell me a bit about yourself before you pray for me. You have a right to say that. You know, the problem for some Christians is they don't think when they get born again that knows part of kingdom language. Jesus said it quite often. Laying of hands was so for transmitting spiritual realities but also ordination to ministry roles. The apostles in Acts 6, 6 laid hands and they prayed for deacons. So you'll see at times we'll pray for people and release them into a new realm of gifting or ordination or authority. So it's very powerful. So when Paul prayed for people, there was an increase in the anointing of their life to govern in new realms, all through the laying on of hands. Number three, Acts 8, 17, there was, when they laid hands on people, they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you don't yet speak in tongues, that's yours today. If I lay hands on you or anyone else with faith, as we lay hands on you, the Spirit of God that's within me, that wells up like a river, like a fountain, that same Spirit will come into you and you'll begin to speak in tongues. And that all comes through the laying on of hands. Isn't that powerful? Number four, the impartation of ministry gifts. Paul says in 1 
uh, Timothy 4.14 and 2 Timothy 1.6. He says, Do not neglect the gift which was given to you through the prophetic message when the elders laid their hands on you. So when you lay hands on people, there can be a transference or an impartation of the gifts of the Spirit. So when I am around people that flow in the gifts like Adam Thompson who was here, I would say to him, would you pray for me? Because that gift that you're flowing in the word of knowledge, I want an increase of that in my life. You can't impart what you don't have. So you find people and say, I want an increase of that anointing in my life. Would you pray for me? There's an impartation, number five, of blessing. Mark 10, 16, Jesus took the children in his arms and he put his hands on them and he blessed them. Now, it's interesting. Let's just talk about children. It, 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 it infers that the children were brought to Jesus. Jesus didn't go looking for the children. I am super careful with children. Whenever I go to other churches, and I'll talk a bit about this later, but if I have a prophetic word, if I feel that God wants me to pray for a child, I am super, super careful. I will go to the parent first. I will talk to the parent about what I'm going to pray about, or if they give me permission, what God has shown me, without the kid being there. And I'll, I've done that before. I've been a guest at churches, and I'll get a word, and I'll say to the pastor, this is what God's showing me. Would you like to give that word? Do you want me to give it? How do you want me to administer it? These are children, very vulnerable, very open. What, how do you want me to function? I submit my gift to them. If you think it's wrong, wrong timing, wrong setting, you know these kids better than I do, I'll just leave it. And this is culture for a church. I mean, out in the world, out, you know, if God tells you to, it may be a little bit different as, as you operate. If you're down the street, you may not have someone who can, another leader with you, but you still ask permission of the parent. I would never go up to a child on their own with a word from the Lord out in the street. Just don't do that. It's just not wise administration. Number one, they don't know how to pastor what you give them. They don't know how to make sense of it. So, so it's really important if you've got a word, uh, you, you want to pray for kids, have right protocol. Right protocol empowers you. It doesn't restrict you. And if you see people come in when we have conferences and all that, and they're not doing this, stop them. I'll talk about conflict at the end. You can stop it. You do it nicely, but say... What was that word I used before? No, we don't do that here. We don't do that here. It's like if you come into my house, if you've got muddy boots, I'll say, leave them at the door. The culture of my house is we take our shoes off. If you come to my house, we don't wear shoes inside. If you wear shoes inside your house, all power to you. Hallelujah. But in my house, this is our culture. Sometimes we sit on that floor that your shoes are walking on. We don't want the city mud. And it's the same here. This is our culture. Everyone's welcome to be part of this church, but this is the culture. It's a safe place. Why is it important? Because Paul says, I don't want you to set up an environment where people despise prophecy and quench the spirit. You go, well, this sounds really controlling. No, it's not about that. I want the most powerful prophetic church that we could ever build. But it comes where there's safety and protocol and everyone knows. Because you and I, we've all been, we've all, most of us have experienced really bad prophecy. I've watched it. I've, been, I've had it happen in this church years ago where people have prophesied, you know, 
you're going to have a wife and she's going to have this color hair. And that was 10 years ago and the poor guy's still not married. Maybe he's still looking for a wife with blonde hair. But that person's walked off. None the wiser. Felt good about himself. Oh, I got that prophecy today. Yeah, and you've just made a mess of somebody. If you had to follow the protocols that I'm about to share, this wouldn't happen. And now that person, the next time God speaks a word into his life, there is doubt. There's a quenching of the spirit. There's a despising because they don't value the word anymore because that one there didn't come to pass. Prophetic protocols. So we've talked about prayer. So this is about prophecy now. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, which I have quoted, don't quench the spirit. Don't despise prophecies. Test all things and hold fast to what is good. You have a right. For your prophetic word over you to be tested. Don't swallow everything that people give to you. It's the same when when I read a Christian book. I don't believe everything I read. I read lots of books, different opinions. I'm trying to paint a picture. It's one piece of a jigsaw. Don't believe everything that's spewed out. Untested prophecy brings unbelief. And unbelief kills Prophecy. This is really important because the value that we place on the word determines the power of the word. Did you hear that? The value that you place on the word determines the power of the word. So, for instance, if there are people here today and you despise prophecy, you've had so many bad ones. If I was to give you a prophetic word today, there would be little value in that. So there's little power in it. Those that I value, I know this man, this woman, whenever they prophesy, it's on the money. There's always great power in what they say. Why? Because my heart is full of faith. Yeah. Are you getting this? Yeah. So it's so important that we get this right. So there's value in the prophetic word in this house and there's great power. Because you can squash the prophetic word that's given to you. And if it's your, the word is not mixed with faith, it won't profit you. So God can say, this is what I want to do. And if you say, oh, I don't believe that, guess what? It isn't going to happen. So we need to create a culture where there's great faith in the prophetic word. Prophetic protocols enhance your gifting. Leadership and order will not limit my function or the gifts or my anointings. I know some people think if there's any control, use that word lightly, or any function or, or protocol, then my giftings and anointings won't be recognized. And people have left this church because of that very thing. You don't recognize my gift. Go to the next church. In fact, you've probably gone to 10 before us. And nobody recognizes your gift. Maybe God's trying to say something to you. It's not that your gift's wrong. It's, it's your motivation's wrong. You won't come under authority. You won't, you won't build relationship with people. You know, do you like me before you prophesy over me? Do you want to be my friend? So the first thing you do is you come up in my face and you've got a prophetic word. It's like, whoa, that's not normal. Regardless of whatever your level is in the prophetic, God is still going to assign you into a place in the body of Christ for you to function. You read about the apostles. There's accountability. There's pushing forwards and backwards. These are mighty men and women of faith 
and power. And there's still accountability and submitting one to another. Because in that context, it's a place of safety that will confront the dysfunctions in your life. And we've all got them. And it's a place to move us to a greater expression of our gift. Let me tell you, the more you submit to godly protocol, the greater your gift shall be. Here's some protocols. Number one, never prophesy in a vacuum. Not a vacuum cleaner, in a vacuum. <laughs> vacuum cleaner is not good either. A vacuum occurs when a prophecy is given outside the setting where we can safely receive personal prophecy. So, and this happens a lot when we have conferences and we have lots of them. Somebody comes up and grabs you in the car park in the dark. I don't know where that person's from. He claims he's from XYZ Church. And I've got a prophetic word for you. And I'm on the bonnet like this. I'd say to him, friend, you're a vacuum. This is not a safe place for me to receive a personal prophecy. I don't want it. I don't want what you've got. Let's make it safe now. now so here, here's how you make it safe. Prophetic words are always subject to judgment. 1 Corinthians 14, 29 says that two or three will speak and the others will pass judgment. That's not like you know, judging people, but looking at the, the motivations of the heart and the accuracy of the gift and the way it's administered. That's called safety. So if someone has a word for you, uh, as an adult, you, you say, okay, let me get some leadership, people that know me, share the word with them. And if you're able, if you want to sit on it, let, let me hear it. And let us, let, us, let us get the mind of God together. Anyone that won't submit their gift to the leader of, a, of the house of the church, you don't want their gift. There's rebellion there. And it may be accurate, but the fruit will be disastrous. And you're perpetuating Bad behavior. Yeah. Yeah. One of the first things I ask people is, what church do you go to? Who's your pastor? Are you in a relationship? Does he recognize your gift? Those little questions eliminate 95% of all traveling prophetic people. If you're not under covering and accountability, don't give it to me. Yeah. I don't want to validate your bad behavior. Prophetic words are subject to judgment. Prophetic people, number two, should always be subject to correction and training. I've got here a person with a spiritual gift who uses that gift to manipulate and impress people. They have a functional gift, but a dysfunctional disposition. And their true word becomes a weapon of unrighteousness. If you're not teachable and submissive, this is my, the word of the Lord for you. Keep quiet. Don't share anything. You've got nothing valuable to say in the prophetic realm until you come under covering. Because the enemy will manipulate you. See, and this is what I try to tell people about spiritual covering. Where there are holes in your covering with rebellion against leadership and authority, the enemy has a written invitation to come in and play havoc with you. And if I'm aware of that, then I know that he's going to be playing with their motivations, their attitudes, and even the message that they bring. So I will not allow them to speak into my life. I will love them and be kind to them and hug them, but don't you speak a word of the Lord into my heart. Number two, so first protocol, don't prophesy in a vacuum. Number two, communicate with permission. I shared that before a little bit, but when I was at Jubilee, I had a prophetic word for um, the pastor's son. So 
and I got that just in the morning as I woke up in the hotel room. So I came to the parents and said, this is what I've got. Is it okay to share that? Once they said yes, and they gave me permission, then I shared it. Just because you pick up something in the spirit realm doesn't mean you need to share it. In fact, a lot of the times God has shown you things about people because he wants you to pray for them, to be aware of their needs. But often we say things because God is showing us that are actually detrimental to the situation. I've done that, foot and mouth disease. Gone, you know, I, I feel something about a situation and I've gone and stepped in and shared it and it makes it worse. And I walk away thinking, I wish I didn't say anything. So ask God, okay, you're showing me things. Do I need to say anything? And then, you know, then if I feel I should, I need permission to share it. I ask the person, is it okay if I share this word? Is it the right time, the right setting, etc.? Number three, third protocol, communicate proper content. Three steps of prophecy. Very simple. Revelation, interpretation, application. We talked about this a lot in Encounter. Revelation. What's God saying? God's given me a picture. So often when I'm in our house, when we have guests, they get all our children out and... Uh, and they prophesy over our guests. And a lot of the times they will get the first stage, which is revelation. I see a picture of this. And uh, recently we had one of the kids shared for a, for, a, for a person. He said, I see a dolphin and I see a pirate ship. And the dolphin's swimming in the ocean. There's a big pirate ship. And so that's the, the revelation. But if you share that with someone alone, it's like, well, thank you. That's changed my life. But they're a kid. And so often kids don't have that second stage of application. So I will take Amy with me. I've taken her before uh, to, to meetings. She'll get the revelation. Then I'll step in with the application. Because I'm good at that and she's good at that. So revelation, what's God saying? By the way, dolphins in the ocean are ministry of the prophetic. Pirates on, on the ocean are a picture of the enemy who comes to steal, kill and destroy. The prophetic ministry is that which comes and begins to expose what the enemy is trying to steal. It made sense to the person once there was application. So revelation, interpretation, and application. So important. Revelation, interpretation. Okay, so once you've interpreted that, the application, what do I now do with that? And that's what I'm talking about, pastoring. When, when you prophesy over someone and you, leave, you dump this stuff in them, I've seen people, the Lord would say to you, you're going to have a ministry, you're going to go all around the world and preach to everybody and you'll be famous. And I look at the people they're prophesying over and I think, oh my goodness, what have you done? And, and this person, I know where they're at, it's like, this is not a now word of the Lord. This is not helpful. This is actually a hindrance. So you've got to pastor that. And, and knowing God, God, God's a God of order and structure. And so if you've got a prophetic word, you better make sure that you bring some insight or have someone. That's why you have leaders with you. Someone who's able, you say, look, I've got this word for that person. What do you think? So the leader, you talk together. Okay, how do we 
apply this word? What's the application? What's God saying? Let's, let's make it a positive experience for the person. Because God loves people. He wants the prophetic to build them and encourage them. Not to, so they go away and, oh, you know, I, I, I just don't want any more prophetic words. If you're the person on the other end getting the prophetic word, ask yourself these very quick questions. I'm going to be quick. What's the source of this word? Is it coming from God, the flesh, or the devil? And it can be from different areas. Where's this coming from? Is it fleshly? I've had people prophesy over me in this place, come in, and it's been demonic. I can hear it in their voice. It's not God. What you're saying over to me, it sounds religious, but there's a spirit. You're talking under the influence of a demon, and I reject that. Sounds nice. They're using him in the name of Jesus. So test the spirits. Just because it sounds good doesn't mean it is good, especially if you don't know these people. Does it bear witness to the word? Paul says in Galatians 1.8 that even if an angel from heaven or, or we preach any other gospel than is preached to you, let them be accursed. Paul says, if it doesn't line up, I've had people say, God's told me that I'm to leave my wife and marry this woman. <laughs> and I'm not joking, they've told me. I said, you ain't hearing God, love. Yeah. That ain't God. That's not what the word says. God does not tell you to divorce your wife or to go and sleep with that woman. You need a slap. If the prophecy doesn't line up with the scripture about first taking care of your own household, you know, if they're telling you to leave your wife and your kids and travel overseas for six months, and I'm going back, well, what does the word say? First take care of your house. If anyone doesn't look after his own household, he is denied the faith and he is worse than an infidel. That's what the scripture says. So get your life right. If it doesn't line up with the word, chuck it out. Okay? Number three, do my leaders bear witness? See, a lot of people don't do that. They don't ask, does this bear witness with you? Paul says, obey those who rule over you, for they watch over your souls. And they've got to give an account for you. Let them do so with joy and not with grief. That wouldn't be profitable to you. God gives us leaders for oversight, and with their oversight comes insight. Did you hear that? With the oversight of leadership comes insight into your life. God shows leaders your spiritual life. So when you come to them, they should be able to speak into your life. What do my leaders say about this word? Some people have had words and they've said, God's told me to leave this church and to go to this church. They've come and told me. Now, I'm not against people moving if God says that, but I felt that ain't God. And sure enough, that person leaves, they last at that church for one week and they're gone. But see, they wouldn't come to leadership to say, would you judge what I'm hearing? It's like a child who comes to their parents and says, you know what, Dad, I'm thinking about I'm thinking about buying a new car for my first car. And Dad says, probably not a good idea. Or maybe he says, it's just, it's wise to submit. Yeah. Does my spirit bear witness to this? Romans 8, 16. The spirit bears witness with my spirit. And that when you listen to the voice of the Spirit, 
and you don't have an agenda, the Holy Spirit, there'll be a big yes and sometimes a big no. Your spirit will bear witness. And lastly, does it carry the heart of God? The heart of God is to reveal treasure where there's junk. True prophecy builds up. It doesn't expose. God is not into the business of exposing and pushing down. I watched some of the most tremendous uh, prophetic gifts and they've spoken over the people the very opposite of what's going on in their life. And I think that, that can't be a word from God. They're, they're not pure. And the person with the prophetic gift knew exactly what was going on in their life but was calling out what God saw. When he looks at you, he sees Jesus. He lifts you out of your miry clay. He, he lifts you up. That's the nature of the prophetic gift, to exhort, to comfort, to lift up and to build. Is that happening when you're prophesying? Or do I walk away condemned and, and belittled? That's not the nature of our good God. He transforms by encouraging. Jesus didn't say, blessed are the peace lovers, because everybody loves peace. He didn't say, blessed are the peaceable, because there are some people that never get disturbed by anything. He said, blessed are those who work for peace, who actively seek to resolve conflict. And all these things I've said today are setting you up in some degree for conflict. And the, the naive thing about some Christians is they think when they come into church, it will be a place of no conflict. But let me just illustrate this. Church is full of people that are wounded. Hospitals have sick people. Churches are full of people with the most diverse backgrounds in one room. You think about it. Where else would you find such a diverse group of people? So there's going to be conflict. Church is full of people that the enemy is working on and doesn't want there. It's going to try and isn't it amazing on a Sunday morning before church how many things go wrong? Because we all think that everything should be perfect. And into that setting we come and there's going to be challenges as we've been transformed into the image of God. And you will have to embrace conflict as a way of life and say, God. Teach me how to resolve conflict, how to say no, and how to even allow myself to be rejected for the good of the culture that we are trying to carry. Some of us refuse to deal with issues because we don't want to be rejected. And it's in your parenting, and now you bring it into the church. And that's why Paul said to uh, would-be leaders, get it right at home. Discipline. Deal with, with issues. Deal with conflict. Don't put your head under the sand. Deal with it because if you don't, you'll come into church and those same people will come into the church and you will let, it, let them run amok and eventually it will blow up your church. Deal with conflict. When things are wrong with a loving heart, say, no, I love you, but no, you can't do that. No, that's not right. You need to stop that. You need to do that. Now, some people, they will agree when you explain why, others will get cross and storm out. And you go, oh, please come back. No, 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 please come back. Go. It's okay to go. Jesus didn't beg people to stay with him. He said, unless you eat of my body and drink of my blood, don't hang around. 
I want you to be with me. I love you. It breaks my heart. But I'm not going to change my culture because you don't like it. 